You're listening to a podcast from Newstalk ZB. Follow this and our wide range of podcasts now on iHeartRadio. Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to The Bean for Wednesday. First of yesterday's news, I am Glenn ZB. We're looking back at Tuesday. Uh, we say goodbye to Stuart Nash. She's gone, 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 gone. Never been so gone. Uh, Chris Hipkins doesn't know what a woman is, but probably nobody else does either. Marcus on Fijos, and then uh, aliens are mutilating cows in Australia. Wouldn't you just not? But before any of that, come on, what a, how can you not listen to this podcast today? Uh, we're going to start by uh, talking about something boring, though, insurance. Right, it's boring right up until the point where you really, 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 really need it. In a really tight period. How do you as assessors, prioritise what gets done and when, and who gets a payout and who does not. According to the Financial Services Council, the number of people taking out insurance, life life, income protection and health insurance, is on the up. And given how strained so many people's finances are, that's interesting that that insurance is on the up. Maybe it's because people realise they can no longer take anything for granted. Life has thrown us all such curveballs recently that you think you're in charge of your life, you think you have got everything sorted and all your ducks in a row, but along comes something extraordinary and life as you know it is not the same as, as it is for Tracy. You might look at the hospital waiting lists and think I've always thought, you know, well, we've got a health system and if any, anything goes wrong, well, we'll just make use of that health system. Well, have you looked at the hospital waiting list and thought, bloody hell, we'll just have to bite the bullet and get health insurance policies for the family just to make sure? Um, I have uh, somebody close to me whose car got smashed into. Um, she was just parked. She wasn't even in her car, but somebody else drove into it at speed and wrecked it. That happened, well, I'm going to say three, four weeks ago now, and that still hasn't been assessed. It's a busy time for the old insurance, isn't it? Sorry if you've got something that's not disaster-related, I think. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I, I wonder if Stuart Nash had income insurance. Like, is he going to be just out on the street now? What, what, what's he going to do? And therein lies part of the delusion for these guys. Not just him, but the whole Labour cabinet and its devout echo chamber of followers too. They can't see the wood for the trees. They probably still think they've been the most open, honest and transparent government ever too. They probably believe New Zealand is actually better off for their leadership. But I'm struggling to see it. The metrics and the data is just not showing it. I do, however, believe he's been a good MP. I mean, after he got sacked, we actually got mixed feedback from his constituents, to be honest. Some saying they absolutely loved him because he was so visible and always got back to them, uh, you know, and kept in touch. Others said he was a total waste of space. But at least they all knew him and he had a presence in his community, which is actually more than you can say for a lot of MPs. So good on him for reading the room and going eventually. I mean, we have to wait till October. Um, but he says it's also time to address the balance with family and friends. And I get that. When you've got a job that takes it out of you, those relationships do suffer. So I wish him well with his renewed connections with loved ones. I wish him well in the corporate world 
or wherever he ends up. I also wish that the Labour ministers left actually do a slightly better job of, you know, walking the walk on all that big talk. Just trying to think. I reckon he'd be best qualified to be a personal trainer, a, a gym instructor. He's, you know, he's quite aggro and obviously loves the gym. Maybe airport security. Stop being so facetious. Oh, no, actually, that's the point of you being here, isn't it? All right, okay. Uh, now, uh, Chris Hipkins uh, yesterday was asked what he thought a woman was. I mean, nobody knows. I certainly don't. But this is fraught stuff, because Chris Hipkins might be legally right, but a lot of people will disagree with him on this, I would say, and they will agree instead with the Oxford Dictionary, which says a woman is an adult female human being. It is so fraught, the subject globally, that the Cambridge Dictionary has actually updated its definition of what a woman is to also include trans women, an adult who lives and identifies as female, though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. Now, there is a very good chance that this culture war stuff comes at us for the next wee while all the way through to the election because there are people who benefit from whipping it up. There are politicians in Parliament right now, particularly the Green Party and the Māori Party, who will benefit from whipping up stuff to do with gender, trans, race, whatever. And there are journalists, like in this case, who benefit from asking these questions and getting attention from it. If this culture war stuff does carry on through to the election, then this is going to get very tricky for politicians like Chris Hipkins and Chris Luxon, who are both chasing the centre vote and don't want to and want to appeal to the vast majority of people but also don't want to upset very loud minorities. Now if I was either of those guys right now, I'd be bracing myself for more of this stuff for these culture war questions to continue. So I'd be going away and I would be working out what my answer is to all of the possible awkward questions because one viral video retweeted by Pierce Morgan is probably enough. Yeah, I'm a bit nervous about um, our policy statements, political policy statements being driven by what Piers Morgan thinks that they should be. Um, I think it is a does my bum look big in this kind of a question. But to which, as we all know, the correct response is to run screaming from the room. What I always do. Now, uh, Fijos, or Fijoas, and some people like to call them. I like hearing people say that. Uh, Marcus, is he for or against? Nobody's really on the fence with Fijoas, are they? Looking for a source of Fijoas, by the way. Uh, One of the downfalls of living in the South Island is that there's not a lot of Fijoas. They do grow here, but there aren't big amounts of them. So if anyone wants to do a deal, I'm just trying to work out our supplier. I think we've normally got one in Nelson, but they're not up to scratch yet. Anyway, I went to get the kids a taste in the supermarket. They saw $16 a kilo. I thought, jeepers. Anyway, I can't swap much for you, but I'm prepared to do any kind of deal for that. Cash for comment. Should run that past my boss, I suppose. You get sponsorship. Oh, I can't get sponsorship of the show, but you get sort of a side sponsorship. Actually, I should ignore anything I've said. That's all bad for me to do that. But anyway, every year it seems as though the cult of the Fijoa gets greater and greater, doesn't it? Quite a polarizing fruit. 
A lot of people think they taste or they smell too perfumey. Well, that's not a problem, is it? Anyway, probably wouldn't mind a, a bad. It probably wouldn't make a bad perfume. The eau de Fijoa. I have been banned from buying Fijos from a fruit shop or supermarket uh, because for some reason there is this mystical thing around them that, that you should be able to it's a bit like limes like you should know somebody with a tree if you don't have one yourself of course and you should be able to source them that way like buying actually buying them like you would I don't know eggs milk that, that for some reason that's selling out to big corporate Fijoa. Uh, after what I said, of course, it's, it's a bit. Generally, with Fijoas, it's a bit like um, coriander, otherwise known as cilantro in the US, of course. Uh, so, to some people, it tastes like soap. It seems to be a genetic thing. They, they have a gene, and so they don't like it. I've got a very good friend who can't stomach it at all because he thinks it tastes like soap. Coriander, I'm talking about, not Fido. Um, and, and the asparagus making your wheeze smell, that's another one, isn't it? I can't quite remember whether the gene makes your wheeze smell or makes you unable to smell the fact that your wheeze smells. Can you remember? Okay. Anyway, Fijos, people seem to either really love them or absolutely hate them. Me... Don't have, I actually don't have strong feelings. I, I am suspicious of the way that once you've got Fijo anywhere near anything, it's all you can taste and smell is Fijo. Which is not an unpleasant thing, but it's a it's an overwhelming thing. But that makes me a little bit nervous about them. And I don't eat them because it's too high maintenance. Anything that requires two utensils to eat, can't be bothered. You need a sharp knife and a spoon, right? Either that or a really sharp spoon, I suppose. Um, I couldn't be trusted with a sharp spoon. Goodness me, this was a lot of Fijoa talk. I hope we've left enough time to find out about the um, aliens mutilating cows in Australia. I'll, I'll start by saying my first encounter was about six years old. And it happened on the East Coast Road in Myringi Bay. This thing took off out of the forest. And I've got what they call missing time. It flew overhead. Um, over our property at East Coast Road, at the corner of Sunset Road. That's another story. But look, for the time, I'll say this. My dad flew in the Second World War, any different planes for the Americans, British, whatever. He encountered them while flying. So him and his mate at the end of the war, they started an organisation called MUFON in the 50s, which still exists to this day. It's in America. You can look it up on the net. Um, as far as the mutilations go, it would appear that there's a race called the, the Greys, which are these short beings. Isn't uh, some of the movies you'll see those like close encounters? Uh, we call them the Greys or Ebies. Now, the reason why for the cattle mutilations is they need the enzymes from the blood and certain organs while their existence on this planet, and they've actually admitted it to the US government, which has this underground facilities and whatever, in Area 51. That's why they do it. 
Isn't the, isn't this a bit like War of the Worlds? Didn't they need something from humans to sustain their existence on the Earth? Isn't it a bit like? Isn't it? Isn't it a bit like it's just taking that plot line? Well, it is, but it, look, it goes. But if you want to know more about it, Linda Molson Howe, she actually has a channel on YouTube and explains why they do it. And they're all sorts of whistleblowers. It's Linda Molson Howe. So, Alvin, okay. have, have they explained why they haven't communicated with us if they're here? Oh, they have. And you'll find that. Okay. If you go down the rabbit hole, you'll find that there's all sorts of evidence of. They're meeting U.S. government and other governments. Okay. All right. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Isn't the internet wonderful? I'm so glad we have it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to listen to this, of course. I'm Glenn ZB. I'll see you back here on the internet tomorrow with another News Talk ZB. For more from News Talk ZB, listen live, on air, or online, and keep our shows with you wherever you go with our podcasts on iHeartRadio.